Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paul Pierce with three on the shot clock. Pierce, step back, three, got it! <laughs> Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth and go get the baby because she's crying. Green, again! And now, welcome to the Celtics Beat with Daniel Baker. Good evening and happy Father's Day, Celtics fans. Welcome to the Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. I'm Rich Conti and I'll be hosting today. Filling in for Daniel Baker. Hello tonight is Tom Lennon. And we'll be talking about Celtics basketball, the NCAA draft, and a little bit of entertainment mindset. All right, Sean, thanks for being here. I'm really looking forward to working with you tonight. You bet. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Well, there's certainly a surprising amount to talk about tonight after a wild day of on-again, off-again rumors about an unconventional trade involving Celtics head coach Doc Rivers. Right, I mean, a lot of stuff to talk about this time of year. Yeah, kind of surprising with the Celtics early exit in the offseason, not really even in uh, full swing. Uh, how closely were you following the news yesterday? You know, uh, in and out, for some of these, you know, a lot of these things, I, I sometimes like to step away. You hear it once, and then you step away and, and find out what happens at the end. And sometimes the ups and downs are just a lot of different uh, dead ends. Um, so, you know, you check in. Uh, you keep your eye on it. But, I, but, I, but I'm not, you know, um, obsessively refreshing my Twitter feed or anything to find out. We'll see. They're, they're in talks, and we'll find out what happens. Yeah, with the 24-7 uh, sports news cycle these days, it just seems like the uh, information, uh, you know, comes out in a really kind of chaotic fashion. And, you know, a lot of guys are um, – sources are uh, unnamed. and A lot of anonymous, exactly. Yeah, yeah and it, you know, it really makes it difficult to kind of sort the wheat from the chaff and figure out kind of, um, you know, where is information coming from reliable sources and where is, you know, what's just speculation. And it's, you know, as a fan, it's tough to, to, to keep on, on top of it. And sometimes it's better to just, you know, sit back, let it wash over you, and wait and see how things uh, play out. And to that point, Rich, actually, this is one discrepancy that I've noticed in some of the reporting. Um, The Globe this morning, Baxter Holmes is talking about the Celtics were asking for uh, DeAndre Jordan and Eric Bledsoe um, for Doc and possibly KG, as we all know. Uh, They said, along with uh, DeAndre and Bledsoe, um, that the Celtics were looking for two picks – and one of them likely being a first-round pick, and they didn't say what year that that, that had to be in. Um, everything that I've been reading today outside of the globe, you know, from ESPN and Yahoo, ha- has been saying that they're looking. Uh, the Celtics are looking to dump Courtney Lee or Jason Terry's contract. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I've heard a couple of different variations. Uh, we had Baxter actually on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he, he was a great guest. Um, you know, I think initially, um, you know, when there was just a lot of speculation, you know, there, there were various permutations thrown out there. Certainly, the names Jordan were, were the name DeAndre Jordan was involved. Eric Bledsoe certainly been a, a hot commodity on the trade market, and and he was part of a potential deal that was discussed in the fall. But yeah, you know, I, I don't know if it's a case of of uh, the, the team looking for. Celtics looking for, you know, bring back a player like Eric Bledsoe, and if they can't, well, then they want to ship some uh, salary out. I've also heard Karan Butler's name thrown in the mix. I've heard Karan Butler's as well. That's right. Yeah, particularly in in the variations that in, involve uh, Paul Pierce. Um, there was a, a really good piece yesterday on ESPN.com by Larry Kuhn, who's sort of a CBA expert um, at ESPN.com, and you know he was talking about how complicated uh, this type of transaction would be to pull off, and, and kind of alluded to the fact that uh, it, if it did happen, it would likely happen um as a a series of at least two different deals um you know to to give the teams a little bit more flexibility in it, having the salaries match up yeah and it looks like whatever the mechanics of it are it looks like the the tripping point so far um in whatever the form it takes is going to is Eric Bledsoe yeah, I can see that from one standpoint if I'm the Clippers. You know, obviously with Chris Paul's situation being up in the air a bit still, um, not knowing if, if he's going to resign. You know, some of the latest talk is uh, he and Dwight Howard interested in, in pairing up somewhere. Uh, if, if you're not certain you're going to be able to bring back Chris Paul, although I think, you know, even these discussions about bringing Doc and bringing KG and bringing Pierce to L.A. seem kind of aimed at, at, at wooing Chris Paul back, back to L.A. But if, if, if his status is uncertain. Uh, Eric Bledsoe is a pretty good hedge there for uh, you know potentially losing uh, Chris Paul. If, if if you make the deal and and Bledsoe gets shipped to Boston and Paul signs elsewhere, that's a pretty big hole at point guard. Exactly. Yeah. And and the other possibility they have is looking to use him as a trade chip, a trade chip down the line with uh, you know someone like Aaron Aflalo in Orlando or something like that as well. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts, and that's one that they want to hang on to, which makes sense. Which I guess brings me to to my thought on, on this whole thing, which is um, my guess is it's going to be a whole lot of nothing. Uh, I, I I have a a feeling though it's it's fading. Uh, I have a feeling that this is going to uh, end up with Doc Rivers back in Boston and. Uh, Kevin Garnett and Pierce back in Boston, and it's going to be a whole lot of non-movement. Yeah, the Clippers, I have no idea. You know, they they sound like Chris Paul has been talking to talking to uh, Dwight Howard, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on on that coast. But my feeling is. this might be a whole lot of nothing for the Celtics. Yeah, and that would be kind of consistent with with the MO over the past couple of years where there's been a, a lot of discussion about breaking up the big three and moving on and uh, never, never right. seems to actually materialize. Exactly. So, so I, you know, I think as fans, we've kind of become a little bit of uh, inured to the situation now and kind of expect, um, you know, for, for, for deals like this to, you know, not end up being uh, consummated. But, you know, where, where do you stand on the, uh, you know, the question of bringing back the band for another season next year? You know, for um, at first, uh, I liked the idea um, in terms of, well, one, whether you're a Celtics fan or not, if you're in the Boston area, that's the team that's playing all the time. And if you like to watch basketball, it's in your best interest to have the best players here. So so whether you're rooting for them or not, it's great. It's The, the product that the Celtics are putting out and that people in the Boston area can watch since 2008 has been so much better. And that's something that a, that a basketball fan in general ought to be rooting for. It's much better to watch Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce play with one another than it is to watch the scrubs that were playing from 04 to 07. Uh, so keeping him, keeping the, the big three here is something that I think is a decent team. Um, I think you need to bring in, you need to draft well, you need to hope Selinger stays healthy, all that. But what, what what I started thinking was they're going to have to rebuild very soon, right? This is the very last year. I know they keep pushing one more year, one more year. I think everybody agrees this is the very last year that the Celtics could bring back Garnett and Pierce and try to run with them again. They're not going to do it beyond next season. Um, and if they're going to have to rebuild that soon anyways, if Doc Rivers is showing this much uh, um what's the word, uh, interest in not doing that, in not being part of another rebuilding process. What a great way to accelerate that rebuilding process. 
than to get rid of Doc Rivers and get something in return for him than to trade. I mean, how often do you get to trade a head coach? You know, but that's a valuable commodity. If that can if that can give you a head start in the rebuilding process, if they could pick up DeAndre Jordan and Eric Bledsoe in a in a draft pick, um, that's a great head start because Doc's not going to be here for the long run anyway. Especially if he doesn't want to be here. I don't. Uh, you know, as a Celtics fan, I wouldn't want him to to be around without his heart uh, in it. Um, that's a nice way of getting a head start. Yeah, the the question of you know whether Doc is really up for um, you know another transition period, I get I get a little bit nervous around the the term rebuild because you know when I think of that term, I think of it as, as something teams with no other choice kind of have to do. You know, you've either got yourself in a really bad salary cap situation, or you know you're in a situation like the Celtics were, frankly, in you know in '03 when when Ainge came aboard, and you know you had kind of a, a dysfunctional locker room, uh, and you know he kind of had to you know break it up by moving Antoine Walker to kind of, you know, remove that, that log jam. But, you know, the, the, the question of Doc, you know, potentially not being up for another rebuild adds a unique spin to it for me because, you know, absent of that, my feeling has been kind of twofold. One, you know, this idea of, oh, it's better to, you know, you know, break up a team early than then ride it out, I think is, is, is based on a lot of um, anecdotal information and, and almost misinformation. I think for Celtics fans, it, it comes from this this notion that the, that Red Auerbach held on to the original big three too long. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that's actually true. I think a lot of folks look at that as, as the reason behind the 22-year championship drought when, you know, if you really look at the facts, the the, the long drought was, was more a function of several things. It was, you know, ownership that had no interest in fielding a winning team. Um, speaking of, thanks, Dad Gaston, who was the owner before uh, the current group took over. You had some, some a really, uh, you know, long stretch of very instable coaching and, and, and frankly, management, you know, first with the the, Jim, the Jimmy Rogers, Chris Ford uh, back and forth with Dave Gavitt really not kind of, you know, putting his all in, into the job and, and, and focusing on it at the time. And then, of course, you know, with, with the Patino situation. And then you had the death of not I was about one. to say, it all, starts, <laughs> it all starts with Len Bias and Reggie Lewis. Yeah. It, it all, those are two enormous, enormous factors. I mean, it starts, it starts there for sure. Two franchise-level talents. I mean, you know, yeah. that's going to set any franchise back. I don't care if it's the Lakers who seem to have, you know, just A, a, a tremendous amount of, of luck and, and B, a lot of opportunity and, and the cash and wherewithal to, to, to uh, seize that opportunity. You know, the, the death of two, you know, impact players like that is just, just a crushing blow. So, and a, a quick related note on that, Rich, yeah. um, just for our listeners, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this either, but um, – there is a there's gonna be a documentary coming out about uh Reggie Lewis uh, on Comcast Sportsnet that's coming out at the end of July. Oh that's great, absolutely. That's, that's gonna be twenty years since he, he died at the end of July in ninety three. So for the twenty year um I guess both anniversary of his passing, there's the, the life and death of Reggie Lewis that's on Comcast Sportsnet. Yeah, for you younger Celtics fans out there, highly um, recommend you you look for that. Reggie was a just a tremendous talent, and it was you know just just such a shock to lose him so quickly, yeah. and and you know really a sad story. But um, yeah, the other thing I think this this kind of oh we've got to move on from the big three um, you know mindset comes from you know is you hear a lot of talk about well um, Danny Ainge and and his comments about you know saying you know if if he were red you know he would of, you know, traded right. from yeah. afar as they hung on to. Yeah. yeah. Well, but it, but if you really actually go back and read the quote, um, the the what he actually said was when Red shared with him the the details of the t- specific trades he was offered, which were just you know, um, I think one was uh, Detlef Schrempf and Sam Perkins, another involved Chuck Person, and um, you know a couple of other players from Indiana. It just would have been a, t- a tremendous haul and you know, would have. You know, rejuvenated the team. He said, "Sure, you, you should have done that." And I think fans have have taken that to you know, kind of you know, misconstrued that that uh, hmm. quote and have taken it to mean that you know, Danny's itching to ship older players out of there and doesn't you know necessarily you know appreciate the um, you know the, the the value they can still bring. And I don't think that's actually the case. And and I think that's borne out by what you were just talking about. It always seems like there's a lot of smoke and very little fire when these deals are brought up. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely there's definitely smoke here. 
Um, but that's interesting about Red that it was more of a situational uh, availability of what was there as opposed to some philosophy that, that he wanted to hang on to to them um, uh, because philosophically he valued them, that, you know, uh, aging veterans. But really, just I didn't see those. I didn't see the transaction that there wasn't anybody available that made it worthwhile. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, somebody's, you know, willing to, you know, if, um, you know, somebody's willing to offer a, a great deal for, say, Paul Pierce, you know, and, and that may happen with the position, you know, that his contract puts him in with that, that buyout makes him incredibly valuable to teams trying to, to shed salary. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, you know, sure, you go ahead and make the, the, the deal. But, you know, I think people really undervalue what, the team has put together over these last six years and the importance of that, that continuity, that, that culture of accountability and, and teamwork and, 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 you know, tough defense that they've built. And that's why I say, you know, my inclination is to try to preserve that as long as possible. As you said, mm-hmm. this is the, the last you know, chance they'll have to really run with it one more time. Frankly, I don't. I think the choice is out of their hands next year. I think KG will. You know, this will be his last year if, if indeed he decides to come back. And right. you know, Pierce may may join him. I have talked a lot about retiring together. So I think the decision's out of their hands um, after this year. Yeah, and um, one one thing about uh, about Rivers is. You know, he hasn't been talking much to the media. He said he doesn't want to comment, and, and that's the thing. But uh, Gary Washburn had a column today in the Globe that, that was talking about. Uh, look, he's Rivers has been at all of the pre or not all, almost all of the pre-draft workouts that the Celtics are having. He's been talking to Danny Ainge like several times every week, um, and it, as Washburn says, quote, and preparing for next season. So whatever those, uh, whatever that entails. Um, is what Rivers has been doing. So it doesn't sound like a guy that's checked out. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if you uh, follow Bill Simmons on Twitter, and, you know, he made several comments earlier today that even if the, um, you know, the trade falls through, as it looks like it, it, it will, uh, he doesn't see Doc returning to Boston because, you know, the situation would be too awkward. But, you know, I think it's it's the media has dramatized it to the point where it may seem like it's awkward. But, but you know, if you kind of step back and look at, like you said, that, that Doc's been involved with the team and preparing for next year and just the, the level of respect and the relationship he has with Danny Ainge and with the ownership, um, I, I have a hard time seeing that being the, the, the untenable situation that, that folks like Simmons kind of make it out to be. Yeah, and um, to the point about uh, any awkwardness, maybe it stems from another piece in, in uh, Washburn's column um, where he said one of the reasons that Rivers is uh, thinking about uh, whether it's leaving or not returning, whatever whatever you want to call it, right, um, is that he's, quote, frustrated by the player's lack of execution and wonders if his voice is still resonating with his players. Now, that's interesting because that's not something that I had heard in any reports so far. Um, and my understanding of this uh, of this shift in his tone where in 2011 he signed the contract, he said, I'll be there for the rebuilding, um, to now is ancient rivers have always – the commonality is they've always wanted to um, avoid completely rebuilding. Um, now, uh, if Ainge is leaning towards that, maybe that's what the impetus to leave is – and uh, Garnett and Pierce both want to go with him. Uh, you know, wherever he ends up, they're going to go. Um, that also facilitates on Angel's part. It sort of works, in, you know, um, uh, in both directions. It, that for, if, if, if they want to leave, then that furthers Angel's impetus to, to want to rebuild anyways. So, look, I guess the long point, the long story short is um, whether or not they rebuild, I think it's a good thing. You know, I, th- I think if Rivers leaves, that's a head start on rebuilding that they wouldn't have if Rivers stayed to be part of that rebuilding process. And if he stays, that means that Pierce and Garnett stay. And I think that's also, you know, that's a win too. I I would like one or the other. I I guess where I've landed on this is uh, I'm less thrilled as a Celtics fan if Rivers returns and they rebuild. I would rather be one or the other. Yeah, I completely agree, and and that was kind of what I was alluding to at the top. My my preference was was to bring them back, but you know if if Doc really isn't committed, um, 
you know, to to you know can see the team through the transition after those guys leave, well, then that changes my thinking a little bit. And I agree, kind of you know ha- you know bringing you know, having Doc come back but not have his heart in a you know in a rebuild or a transition or you know bringing KG and or Pierce back without Doc that, that that just doesn't make sense to me. I think it it does make sense you know to kind of have them as a package deal. And you know you talk about the head start and the rebuild and and that's interesting. I, I like the way you put that because it is just that a head start. I think a lot of um, fans, even I, you know, just kind of looking at the tone of some of uh, Bill Simmons's comments, you know, <laughs> some of the, the the media kind of act like, well, you know, it's it's not a rebuild, it's a reload. Then, like all of a sudden, this team is going to contend, you know, with you know after a deal like that. And I look at it, and you know. You know, sure, Jordan and Blenzo are, are, are fine young players, but you know they, they they weren't lottery picks. I don't know that they have that level of talent. And the reality is, if you make that deal, you basically become last year's Clippers team. You know, with Rondo instead of CP3 at the point, and Jared Sollinger instead of Blake Griffin at the power forward. And you know that team, that Clippers team made it exactly as far as the Celtics did this year. They lost in the first round. So so are those guys, you know, is, is that, it, it, it might be a head start, but to think that, wow, all of a sudden this is going to, you know, thrust the team, you know, back into a, a position to challenge Miami, or even to say that it isn't going to be necessarily a step back from, you know, what a healthy Celtics team last year might have been capable from, capable of, I, I don't think that's a slam dunk. Yeah, one, one last thing on this point is, um, if they bring back Garnett, you know, if everybody comes back, if Pierce comes back, Garnett comes back, uh, Doc Rivers is still there. The, obviously, they can't have them as the the. Um, we've seen what having them as the focal point of the team gives you, uh, and it's just not enough anymore. And they're going to be another year older. Um, but I do think, to your point earlier about the the culture that that they created. Um, being so valuable and, and you as a Celtics fan wanting to see that come back, that is something that can be maintained without having them as the, the major players. You you can still have their impact in terms of, um, um, you know, sort of the intangible sort of nonsense words, but, but that, you know, in actuality make all the differences, you know, sort of their, their presence in the locker room and their work ethic and all that. That stuff can translate to not being the best player. I mean, you can be the the backup or you can be a, you know, a secondary role player um, and still have that, that effect. Uh, so that is sort of the saving grace for those people who want to see them stay with the Celtics. Is that can work. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I think no question Pierce and Garnett, if they come back next year, have to, um, you know, take a little bit more um, complementary roles. And, I, you know, I think, you know, obviously Rondo has stepped into, you know, a role as one of the, the, the primary um, uh, drivers of the team. I think Jeff Green has positioned himself to be that. I think you can count on Jared Solinger for 25 to 30 minutes a game, you know, provided he, he's recovered from the, the surgery. And, and I think, you know. Calabrini could not stop talking about Solinger if you paying attention if you guys are listening uh scal still like practices with them once in a while and stuff and he, he just would not stop saying how blown away he was with how much skill selinger has on offense because this guy not only does he get it you know everybody says he's a smart kid and he, he understands as well but like he's got moves like, he, he has a very well-developed post game so we're gonna see a lot more of that uh yeah, obviously he's healthy um and the larger role that he takes, that's going to boss him. So you, you don't look at Selinger as what he did last year necessarily. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to that, uh, to his game than we saw. And he's he's a much better defensive player than people give him credit for. You know, they look at his body type and you know the lack of kind of explosive athleticism, and right. they don't notice the the things like the positioning, the communication on defense, and just the the, the smarts. And and you know, I, I'm with you. I love hearing that from Scal. I, I've got uh, really high hopes for Solinger. You know, honestly, there, there's no guarantees, but I don't see any reason he can't be a Kevin Love type player. Yeah, and he doesn't have his height. Yeah, he's a couple but, inches shorter, but, but right, yeah, but, yeah. But it's it's in the same vein, yeah. Yeah, same type of rebounder. You know, clearly not a rim protector on defense, but, right. you know, and Solinger's got better range, certainly, than people thought he did coming out of uh, yes. coming out of school. Yeah, he does. Yeah, no, it's, it's an apt, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, one more point on the, uh, the the potential deal with the Clippers. I think uh, another uh, kind of understated point that folks aren't talking about is, you know, at the end of the day, if this deal is going to happen, 
Donald Sterling of the, the Clippers owner is going to have to pull the trigger on it. And is he really going to pay $7 million, which is you know, Doc Rivers' price tag, for a head coach when he can simply pay $2 million to Lionel Hollins and, you know, get lauded in the press for it because, you know, the press is in, in love with, uh, with, with Hollins and, and for good reason. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing. They're in love know, with Rivers too. <laughs> exactly. But I have a hard time seeing Sterling uh, open up the pocketbook there. Yeah. Except for, I don't think it would be, so he doesn't have to sign him to, he, it, he would not be getting Rivers contract. They're not trading his contract. It's, the Celtics would have to agree to let him out of that contract. It's the price tag back to Boston that Sterling won't pay is what my guess is. He's going to look at it and say, it's not the $7 because he can sign Rivers to a new contract. He's going to say, I don't want to send all that talent and money back to Boston. That's the price tag that he's not going to want to pay. Well, especially because I think he would have, um, you know, it's certainly that trade, while it would be very good for them, you know, in the short term from the basketball sense, uh, it's certainly not anything the, the the marketing department for the Clippers is going to be able to, to hang their hat on. So, uh, yeah, so I agree with you there. All right, it's time to head to break. Um, when we return to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, we'll turn our attention to the NBA Finals and tonight's Game 5 between the Heat and the Spurs in San Antonio. So we will be right back. Hey, John. Yep. Cool. Uh, so we're on break. Um, let's see. Cool. Well, yeah, we, we, I thought we did a, a, a pretty thorough job yeah. uh, covering the doc situation. So maybe what we'll do is we'll talk a little bit about uh, the finals uh, when we come back. And then um, what we'll do is um, I think probably given that we're already 25 minutes in, um, and by the time we get back, I think um, – We'll probably the final talk will carry us to the next break, and then when we get back from that, if we get some callers, great. If not, uh, we'll just talk a little bit more about the off season. You know what they, you know, if Pierce doesn't get just bought out and signed with LA, what some other possible things they can do with him, and then we'll talk about kind of what their needs are going into the draft. Yeah, where I mean, what do you see their needs as being? Um, I mean, you know, I think, you know, uh, big man and a point guard, obviously, right. are, uh, you know, two two uh, obvious ones, you know, especially if you bring Pearson Garnett back. Um, you know, if you don't bring those guys back, I think maybe you lean a little bit more toward the, um, you know, the, the, the best available player. Um, but, um, you know, um, you know, one name I've heard them uh, connected with them, um, which was a little surprising. Uh, he was the guy who was, one of the more highly – he was in the top three to five of his recruiting class coming out of high school um, and then got in a little bit of trouble his freshman year at Providence College and then had a good year last year as a sophomore's guy, uh, Ricardo Lido from uh, Providence College. He's a 6'6", six, six, uh, swing man, um, great scorer, good ball handler, good passer. Um, and, you know, he, he's been – he really impressed at the, um, uh, the, the pre-draft camp and um, you know, started, I've started seeing his name connected with the Celtics a little bit. And I don't know if that's you know a case of Ainge looking for an, a, you know, an additional late first round pick um, to you know to, to get him. I don't know. You you take him at sixteen. You know, one guy that, that this is a later guy, but uh, that I saw pop up on somebody's um, somebody's mock draft was uh, Tony Mitchell. Uh, yeah, who's yeah. like this ultra athletic? I hate this guy so much. <laughs> I, I would be devastated if they took this kid. Looks so bad when they show him playing. That's a total only if you keep it in that culture around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He's one of these head cases that just like he never runs back on D. Like, like I don't mean like sprint back, but he just doesn't run back on D. He just stays in the. <laughs> If there was offside, you would be offside all the time. That's funny. Hey, we've got we do have one caller on the line. Um, uh, caller, can you hear me? Uh, 
got them on screen, but they must just be listening. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, you know, I've, and, and who's the, the comparison I see people use with him? You know, because of his athleticism. I think I've seen Serge Ibaka. Uh, his name kind of uh, thrown around in, in relation to him. Um, oh, no, 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 uh, Paul George is the name. Yeah, here. Paul George. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing that, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not being but oh, my God. Yeah. Cool, all right. Well, I hate gonna, players like that. I'm going to have us come back. Let's see. Cool. Welcome back. This is your host, Rich Conti, and our co-host, John Lemons, for Celtics Beat. Hey, John, the Heat and the Spurs tip off in a couple hours in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Uh, What are you expecting to see tonight? I'll be damned if I know, man. What a series that's been, huh? Yeah, the seesaw. Game one is the only game that's gone according to what people thought it was going to look like. I mean, how did the Heat? How did the Heat get up by thirty points in game two? I, I and then how did the how did the Spurs build them up by even more in game three? Yeah, I mean the, the the Spurs put on a clinic in game three with the ball movement and of course the you know the three point shooting of uh, Danny Green and, and Gary Neal really. Yeah, uh, just you well, know, knees kind of, Dwayne Wade playing on in game four. I mean, who, who the hell knows what's going to happen in this game? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, I I I wonder if, especially if the uh, the Spurs manage to win tonight, if we see um, you know uh, LeBron kind of revert to as he puts it his Cleveland mode, and right. and man, uh, you know, I I don't know if uh, if if Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh will be too excited to see that again. I they they had some very pointed comments in the Indiana series after yeah. uh, after LeBron made that comment after I believe it was uh, Game Six against the Pacers. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'm hoping for in this game. Uh, I'm hoping for, uh, and this is pure. I have no rooting interest in this. I don't. I don't care who wins. Uh, I, I'm hoping for Dwayne Wade's knees to be like they were last game, which is to say, healthy. He looks like Dwayne Wade that we used to see. Uh, and Tony Parker's hamstring holds up because when they're playing well, I don't know if there are two more fun players to watch in the league. Tony Parker is a wizard. I mean, he's so. LeBron James is a much better player. He's, you know, hands down consensus, the the best player in the league and has been for years and blah, 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 blah. Watching Tony Parker play is so much more fun to watch. I mean, he's so quick and, and slithers in. He makes it, I mean, so much fun. And when Wade is on, uh, boy, he's, he's, he's as much fun to watch as Parker. So that's what I'm hoping for is these guys can be healthy and watch and look like Tony Parker did in the first half of last game. Cause apparently his hamstring is hanging by a thread uh, and could tear at any moment. Um, so I'm hoping that doesn't happen, not as a Spurs fan or rooting against the Heat. I just really want to see those dudes play. Just as as an NBA fan, yeah. If, if it is fun, it is really fun to watch those two play. Certainly, if if Parker is out or even you know limited um, significantly, I, I think you know San Antonio is going to have a hard time uh, winning unless you know <laughs> Gary Neal continues to to shoot out of his mind. But right. um, yeah, I'm with you on Parker. I, you know, to me, he's kind of become the 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 next gen um, Steve Nash. You know, not quite the shooter sure. Nash was, but certainly just you know much more athletic and just but that same skill level. That that same kind of quirky, um, you know, change of pace. Very you know, creative. Yeah, and it's just I'm with you. It's so much fun to watch. I, you know, I'm biased toward point guards to begin with, and 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 Parker is just a, a dream to watch. And okay. certainly as as a Celtics fan, that that twists the knife a little bit because uh, the, oh, yeah. when they passed on him in the draft, that was probably one of their their biggest mistakes in the past ten fifteen years. Yeah, it, you know what's funny is. is He's not that old. It feels like he's been around forever. He's he's barely thirty one. Yeah, he was nineteen when when he was drafted and in his uh, rookie year in the league. And uh, you know, I remember clamoring for the Celtics to take him with the tenth or eleventh pick that year that they had the uh, three picks in the first round. And you know, it's just a, a a capital crime by uh, Chris Wallace to to pass on him with all three of those picks, particularly the third one taking uh, Joe Forte instead of him. 
<laughs> the, the the legendary Joe Forte, who who wore a Lakers uh, jersey to his first practice at uh, summer camp with the Celtics. Oh boy! <laughs> and Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade, he's thirty one as well. He's like he's like two and a half years younger than Kobe. Yeah, he's got a lot of miles on. <laughs> right? You know, only 31, but, man, you know, he reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, plays in a, a similar style of uh, Allen Iverson. You know, the, the ball in the hand so much, just kind of careening to the basket all the time. And, and with Wade, it's just not it's not just careening to the basket when he's got the ball in his hands. You see him a lot of times he's crashing the offensive boards. And, you know, he's you know, he's certainly bigger than Iverson was, so his body's, you know, built to take it a little bit more. But, man, you know, playing in that style is going to get yeah. Well, playing in that style without having developed, I mean, that's what makes him different than Kobe, right, is is he never developed that, uh, I mean, you know, they say like his mid-range jump shot was like his other shot, but he's never been a good outside shooter, whether it's from three or whether it's, you know, deep two or even like a pull-up game. He used to be able to hit them more consistently, but like he's never been a good shooter, you know, and your athleticism, man, that's the first thing to go, Uh and that's what Jordan and that's what Kobe developed was that great game, you know, that great uh, uh, perimeter shooting game that Wade has. I mean, this is when you start developing, right? And he's just getting worse at it. Um, I've never rooted for Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. You know, I've never been uh, a Heat fan or anything, but a lot like uh, USC in the mid 2000s and the Lakers at the beginning, of the day, I never rooted for them, but I would love watching them. You know, you make a point to watch them because they're so fun to watch. And Wade, when he's at his best, is one of those. He's so much fun to watch. And one thing that's underrated about Wade, he's enormous. Watch him tonight, listeners, when, when, when he's playing. Watch him walk past, even like LeBron. You know, he's, he's five inches shorter than him or whatever. Look at just the size of their, their shoulders or their arms. And just watch him walk by. He is an unbelievably big person. I mean, he's, if you can see pictures of him next to Kobe or something, look at how much thicker he is. I mean, he's like a, he's like a big running back. You know, I mean, that gets a little lost, I think. He's huge. So that's helped him stay as healthy with that sort of crash game that he has that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean he's he's six three six four, and I believe he's listed somewhere two twenty five or yeah. You know. So that's big, a solid guy. That's, that's a linebacker, extremely big, strong safety. Yeah. So uh, I I I had uh, Brian Windhorse came to a course that uh, I was in in graduate school, and was talking to us about uh, his his move to Miami. He this was a year ago. Um, so he had been there for what a year and a half at that point, and we're talking about LeBron and uh, I don't know if people know his story. Windhorse used to cover him with the yep. Cleveland Plain Dealer and went to high school at the same high school as him. His mom was the was LeBron's teacher in school, so he's known him forever. Um, and so he was talking a lot about LeBron, obviously. And, and someone asked him a question about Wade and what do you think of Wade, and he said, you know, watching him from afar as as a beat writer, you know, I. I and, respect him. He's a you know, great player, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't, you know, think all that much about him. Um, and he said, this was last year heading into the playoffs. And he said, I am, I was stunned at what an unbelievable athlete Wade is. Like he, he, you can see that he's a good athlete, obviously on TV. He goes, you have no clue until you start watching him like in practice and watching him warm up and games. So, like he is a stunning good athlete and the work that he has to do to get himself in a position that he, in a condition that that is able to play basketball and play a game, um, it would boggle your mind. He just goes through so much training. His body is a mess. And he said, I, I have so much more respect than I ever did for his game than when I came here, but he is going to fall off of a cliff very, very soon. Like when it goes, it's going to go really quickly. Yeah, and, you know, I think that doesn't bode well for Miami's chances of, of keeping LeBron James high in right. South Beach. And, you know, you talk about the, you know, the inconsistent outside shot with Wade. And honestly, the Spurs have been exploiting that in this series. I mean, Miami has, you know, kind of predicated their offense this entire year on, on spreading out, spacing, um, you know, getting shooters on the floor and allowing, you know, LeBron James to, you know, basically break down the defense and either finish himself or, or kick to one of these shooters. And I think the Spurs have just, you know, kind of calculated, hey, we're not going to leave Ray Allen. We're not going to leave, um, you know, Mike Miller. We're not going to leave. Uh, well, Shane Battier hasn't been, been playing as much as he did earlier in the year. They're going to stay home on those guys. And the guy they're going to, they're you know, sag off of 
has been Wade, and and you know for the most part, uh, certainly in in games one and game three, he he wasn't really able to make them t- pay. Uh, right. You know whether that was you know just his health or you know just the uh, you know lack of uh, aggressiveness taking the ball to the basket. As you said in game four, it seemed like you know his his, his knee was feeling better, and he certainly um, you know made the Spurs pay by being more aggressive when he would take the pass. Of, it's like you know, two completely different players. I mean the the aggressiveness that he played with on defense and coming up the court. I mean he. He and LeBron, if you watched the first half, were sprinting up on every single position, sprinting up the court on offense. I mean, they were sprinting up the court on made free throws. Like They, they were flying, uh, like comically so. I mean, it was hard to not notice how hard they were pressing the ball instead of just sort of jogging up. Even at a medium pace, they were flying up the court on every offensive position. It was very clear what their, uh, what their uh, sort of tactic was, rather their strategy. Yeah, as a longtime Celtics fan, surely I, you know, don't have a lot of love lost for the Heat. But that's one thing I do have to appreciate about them when they play well. Just as you said, that that just you know breakneck pace, the 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 havoc they create on defense, and just the the aggressive hard push of the ball on offense is just something that you know as a Celtics fan, you you know you certainly have to step back and appreciate a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, the series is tied 2-2, and, you know, generally you think that favors the team with home court advantage. But, you know, I think the Spurs have to like where they are right now. You know, game five on their home floor, and then, you know, if they win that, they're one of the better road teams in the league, you know, especially in the playoffs. I mean, they went into Golden State a couple of weeks ago, or actually went into Oakland a couple of weeks ago, right. and it took two games, and you know, generally what's considered one of the more, you know, difficult places to play in the league. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, depending on what happens tonight, uh, the, the Spurs uh, have to like their chance if they come home with a, with a win tonight of, of stealing one of either Game Six or Game Seven in Miami. Yeah, I I actually disagree. I think with with Tony Parker's hamstring, um, I mean that that it hangs in the balance. You know, the series hangs in the balance with his hamstring, which is close to tearing. Uh, if they lose him, um, they, they don't have a shot. And they, right now, they have to win two out of three uh, in Miami. You know, and that's a that's an uphill battle. Um, I don't know. I think I, I think to make Miss League, right? I think if Wade and Bosch and LeBron can hit some of those outside shots, uh, or I, I suppose if the Heat can hit some of those outside shots, um, it's a make Miss League, right? If if a if a what fifty percent, if forty eight percent of those go in, I think they're going to run the Spurs out. I think tonight is the pivotal game, though. I agree with you there. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you as well. I mean, yeah, you know, the uh, the Spurs are not going to let them get anything easy inside. Uh, you know, right. one of the better, um, you know, more disciplined teams in the league, uh, well coached. They know what they're doing, and so it really is going to come down to you know, can they hit enough, you know, of those seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty foot jump shots to kind of soften up that defense a little bit and get them to extend and thus open up some of the, the driving lanes. And you know, as Celtics fans, you know, we know really well that that, that it's a make or miss league. Um, you know. Yeah. You look at that game seven last year against Miami, and what it came down to is, you know, the, the Celtics hitting one of those cold spells that they 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 seem to hit at the wrong times in, at the uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, and you know the Heat got, um, I think it was Chris Bosh made three out of four three pointers, you know, of all people, uh, you know, going down in, in the fourth quarter. He was and, unbelievable that and, game, and that was really the difference. He was unbelievable. Yeah, that was really the difference. And so, where on earth that came from, I have no idea. But he was incredible in that game. Yeah, that that, uh, that was tough. Hey, if the um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking that I just wanted to flush out that point a little bit more about what's going to happen. And it's just I, I like so. The, on paper, I like the idea of the Spurs' uh, bigs. They can't match Miami's small ball. Miami's gone all small for 48 minutes in game four. It worked. Um, I think the Spurs are going to say, prove it, that you can do it again. They're going to let them take the, those mid-range shots, those long twos. Um, and I think on paper that makes sense. I think Thiago Splitter is really impressive to me, actually. He's got a good post-game um, if he plays well, I think that's a huge, huge thing for the Spurs. I think that's an outsized uh, advantage for them if, if he plays well on offense uh, specifically. Because, you know, Miami can't rebound and they don't have any bigs to, to guard him defensively. Um, and I, this is assuming that Duncan plays like Duncan. You know, that I'm sort of checking him off as as, uh, as playing like, like Tim Duncan. Um, I, yeah. So the long story short, I, I, I like on paper the idea of Spurs uh, – 
playing big and, and winning with a big lineup. I just really I don't I don't see it happening. Like I don't I just don't think ultimately that's how it's going to play out. Uh, on paper, I like it. I just I really really see the Heat winning two out of the next three. Yeah, I mean, going into the series, I think a lot of people assumed that San Antonio, if they were going to have success, it was going to come by pounding Miami inside with with right. Ritter and Duncan, just like Indiana did with with West and Hibbert, and and that that was really going to be again, you know, another one of these small ball versus kind of twin tower, or, you know, deep inside uh, type matchups. But it really hasn't played out that way. When 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 San Antonio has been effective and when they've hurt the Heat, it's really come you know by virtue of just you know incredible. Ball ball movement and and, yes. and just precision high speed passes and you know that is that's something that that Miami does have uh, you know difficulty contending with because their defense is based on the idea of of making players make decisions under duress and yes. in games one and games three you know you had even your know, role players like Gary Neal and and Kawhi Leonard at this point in his career is still kind of a, a role player and Danny Green oh, yeah. not only hitting shots but making great decisions at yep. at high speed under a ton of duress and. If you can do that, um, that kind of uh, you know renders the the, the the heat game you know kind of takes a big component out of it, which is you know the havoc they create on defense, those live ball turnovers, getting out on the break, and and kind of demoralizing you with their athleticism. I also think the the less uh, we see of Manu Ginobili, the better for the Spurs. Uh, he's just been awful, awful this season, and I loved watching. He's sort of a Dwayne Wade light. Um, for, for his career in terms of his skill set and the way he plays the game, um, he has been awful, just awful. He needs to start hitting some of these threes because he gets a, a good number of open looks and he hasn't been knocking any of them down. Yeah, he's you know he just seems like whether he's you know hurting or it's just age catching up with them. Certainly, um, you know his game, which has always been kind of herky jerky, very cerebral, kind of change of pace. Um, you know, really just isn't holding up against the Heat. And yeah, you know he he needs to kind of step back and take a look at whether he can you know contribute um, you know by hitting some of those outside shots. And if not, I'm I'm with you. Pop has to kind of go in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thinking about you know what happens um, you know over, over the next uh, you know couple of games, if if the Spurs do win, I'm I'm curious to see kind of how it's um, how it's received in the media. You know, will you know will the focus still be on on the Heat and it become a question of you know what the Heat didn't do and what will happen with the, with the big three instead of kind of giving this Spurs dynasty and there's really no other word for it. If you look at that, this will be their you know if they win, it will be their fifth championship. Um, you know, over the span of a, about a decade, a little bit longer, and yes. um, you know, it just seems like they never get their due. And to me, it would be a shame if you know the Spurs win the series and the focus is still on you know, as it is in most NBA circles, on the Heat. I agree with everything you said, and the answer is yes. That is exactly what's going to happen if the, <laughs> if the Spurs win. It's going to be the Heat bluest. Yeah. yeah, there will be there will be some sort of you know token uh appreciation of of Parker, of Pop, of Duncan, of Manu. That there will be the like, yes, we have to get this out of the way and say, oh how great they are and everybody appreciate them. And then they're gonna be licking their lips to jump on what's going on with Miami, whether they're gonna stay together, who blew it, whose fault it was, uh Spolstra, whether he's you know, whether this uh small ball lineup works. Uh, it's immediately going to jump to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. I'm already picturing the images or footage of you know LeBron biting his nails and and Pat right. Riley looking on grimly and and Eric Spolstra with his arms crossed, kind of sitting back in a in a slouch on, in in his coach's chair, and you just kind of you know know that's going to happen. And um, yeah, I think you know if um, certainly the, the Heat are going to have some decisions to make or some challenges after next season with with LeBron's contract situation. But you know if if they don't win it all this year, I think, um, you know, the narrative that, that we've heard over the past year, which has been that, you know, last year's championship has kind of gotten the heat and LeBron over the hump, and, and now the dynasty is ready to begin. If if they fall to the Spurs, um, that, that narrative gets turned on its head. I think it becomes, you know, a question of, well, hey, did they back into a championship last year with Derrick Rose being out, with the mm-hmm. with the Celtics battered and bruised and still taking them to seven games, the, the shortened season. I just kind of, you know, wonder what, what the story will become. Yeah, it'll be interesting. 
And, you know, one other, um, I can't remember exactly who brought it up, but another interesting sidelight um, of, you know, what the impact of the Spurs winning this, this uh, NBA championship would have would be um, the question of whether the league would decide to kind of abandon that 2-3-2 two, two format uh, that's been in place since you know the mid '80s when the uh, when the Celtics and the Lakers seem to be meeting in the finals uh, virtually every year, right. and the uh, and the press corps got sick of flying back and forth uh, between coasts. I think uh, you know the 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 argument was that if a you know the team with home court advantage, the team with you know that was clearly the best team in the league, um, you know loses under this format, do they you know do they rethink it? Um. You know, I'm not sure. I, I love the two two one one one. Uh it's so much better. And uh I think the reason that it is still a two three two in the NBA is not because of the players. Because everybody says, uh, you know, the like Jeff Van Gundy, I feel like every game brings this up. Who cares? It's coach you know, I mean it's a, it's it's charter flights and it, it's it's an extra two hours in the air. What's the big deal? It's not for the players. It's for the broadcast. Absolutely. They don't want to have the net, the networks don't want to have to travel back and forth like that, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, the logistical night it, it's got to be a nightmare. Uh, so I, that's why I think that it, it's still two three two, and I don't know why it would change. You know, I don't I don't see any reason why it would change. I don't know off the top of my head what the uh, uh, what the contracts are uh, when the next con- TV contracts are up, um, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that is. Um, brought up, you know, broached uh, on some level uh, next time uh, there's a bid for, for TV rights because, you know, watching the NHL, uh, man, the 2 2 one, 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 it's so much better. So much more drama. Yeah. Yeah, I think the argument would have been a little bit stronger if the Spurs had swept the three games in San Antonio to close out the Heat in five, uh, because then the argument would have been that the the best team in the league only got to play two home games in the in the right. finals, and and you know how how fair is that? So and that's legit. I mean, that's a yeah. legitimate point of contention. Yeah, I think the, the the water's probably under the bridge on that with with Miami winning in Game Four, but uh, right. I guess we'll see. Well, it's time for another break. Uh, when we come back, we'll um, you know open up the phone lines and take a few callers if there's any out there and talk a little bit more about the Celtics off season. I'm Rich Conti along with John Lennon, and this is Celtics Beat. It's Coach Kevin from Superfans.com. Superfans shirts. Superfans has Boston's best t-shirts. Uppercase B's for the adults and lowercase B's for the kids. You see our street hustlers at your favorite event or you shop with us at Superfans.com. At Superfans, we're just like you. We take pride in our town and support the best our teams have to offer. Listen to your New England soul. Visit Superfans.com and say hello next time you see us around town. We make Boston's best t-shirts for New England's best fans. Superfans! Superfans is a proud sponsor of Dirty Water TV. Hey, this is Mike Fay from Mike T. Just reminding you about all of the great stuff we have right here on CLNSRadio.com. Even though the Celtics may be in the offseason, our Celtics postgame show will be back in better than ever when the boys in green take the parquet again. And until then, stay with CLNS for outstanding coverage of the Red Sox and Paw Sox. Plus, we still have our outstanding weekly shows. 
Tuesday night at 7.30, it's the Boston Sports Connection, hosted by CLNS content manager Sean Backey. One hit away from perfect game, and he was dealing on Saturday. On Wednesday, Brian Langford brings you the evening score at 8. I always tell you, I'm not scared to go into it. I'll go completely into it. And tune in Thursday nights at 9 for NBA for Life with Pat and AWOL. The Pacers win games when they go inside to David West and Roy Hibbert. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. And there are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Hi, everyone. It's Ty Ray from King of the Court and the Celtics postgame show. clnsradio.com is rapidly expanding, and you can be a part of it all. Join the CLNS radio community today. Register as a CLNS member. When you join, you'll get your very own blog page and profile. And signing up is so easy, you can even use your Facebook page to do it. While you're at it, text CLNS fans to 22828 to join our e-updates community. That's CLNS fans, one word, to 22828. And don't forget, you can always chat and become a part of the conversation on our message board. That's at clnsradio.com backslash forum. CLNS Radio is getting bigger and better every day, and we want you to be right there with us. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to CLNS Radio. CLNSRadio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Welcome back to Celtics Feet. We're coming down the home stretch. This is your host, Rich Conti, and I've got my co-host, John Lemons, here. And we're going to actually go to the phones right now and uh, talk to Brent calling us from North Carolina. Brent, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, guys. How about y'all? Oh, we're doing great. What's on your mind? Oh, well, you know, I, I kind of wanted to call in and talk about the um, – you know, the line that's kind of being, you know, messed around with, I think, with a lot of fans. I think a lot of fans of the Celtics are, you know, you have it split down the middle where a lot of fans are, you know, screaming loyalty. And those are the fans, you know, that have been watching the Celtics pretty much their their entire lives and been diehard fans. So, like, you know, we want to hold on to Pierce. And then I think you have, like, the sort of newer age fans that are, you know, screaming, well, we, it's time to rebuild. You know, there's never been a better time to rebuild than now. And I'm I'm kind of tinkering along the line because the only the only team I've ever grown up watching is the Celtics. So I'm you know I'm on the fence right now just because you know I I, I am a fan of you know being loyal, especially to Pierce, who's been so loyal to the to the franchise. I mean he's been with with the Celtics through the ups and downs. But um, and then you have Garnett, a player. You know I think a lot of people have never really witnessed before, a player like him in Boston just because he's just he wears his emotions on his sleeves every single night that he steps onto the court. So I think that's where fans are kind of hesitant, you know, just to kind of throw him out there as trade bait right now. But I think it's I think it's coming time. I think that window is starting to close a little bit. Um, and right now you have Pierce, who's still capable to, to give you a good, solid game, on, on, almost on a nightly basis. I mean, he did average, 18, I think it was 18.9 points last year, a, a little under five assists, and um, – five rebounds. So, I mean, those are solid numbers. And KG's almost a walking double-double. So, they are still valuable out there. And you don't want to, you know, keep them another year and have another injury come up. And then, you know, they're not really going to be that valuable, you know, after that. So, I can understand why Danny Ainge is trying to, you know, to work a deal out. But my concern is with Doc Rivers because Doc Rivers signed, what was it, a five-year deal when he did sign last year. 
And he knew what he was getting into. He knew that, that Pierce and Garnett were likely not to be there that much longer. So my loyalty issues go to Doc Rivers because him, because it's been said that he was okay with going to coach the Clippers. And I understand that he wants to coach Garnett and Pierce, and I understand that. But was his heart always with Boston? And that's what's kind of troubling to me. And now they're talking about the trade possibly, you know, coming to a, a quick halt. And I'm like, but do we really want to sign Doc Rivers back? I know that's crazy for me to say because I've talked to a bunch of you guys on, on the radio shows, and I'm, I'm a big Doc Rivers supporter. But that just really startled me like yesterday when that you know it came out that he was definitely you know wanted to go coach in L.A. So I, I wanted to get your guys' take on that real quick. Yeah, you know, I mean, certainly loyalty is something fans think about, and you know, to some extent, folks like um, you know, with with Grossbeck, you know, thinks about the, the franchise's legacy. But hey, at the end of the day, this is a business, and I think everybody involved knows that. And so, you know, my reasoning for you know wanting to keep you know uh, Pierce and KG around is that they are still valuable, not just in terms of what they provide on the court, but what they bring off the court. And I think some of the the, the new age fans, as you put them, sometimes you know maybe discount that or just you know aren't experienced enough to see the impact that a guy like Garnett has in terms of just the culture and the level of accountability and the importance those things are for winning. So, you know, I, I think for me it's less an idea of, of why wow, we need to be loyal to these guys and more an idea of, hey, we built something here. Let's not just tear it down unless we, we really think we're putting ourselves in a better position. Um, as for Doc, hey, this is a big career decision for him. He certainly signed a contract, and I, and I think he's willing to live out that contract. But just like anybody, you know, you're, you're in a situation, you know, you've been with a company for a while, and, you know, there's another opportunity out there. Um, you know, it's impossible not to think about it, particularly in the world of the NBA where, you know, um, you know key, there's leaks and, and teams are kind of reaching out into directly to a guy like Doc. So I, I, I don't fault him too much. And at the end of the day, we don't know what will happen yet. And we don't know, um, you know, really how it's going to get resolved. Real quick, Rich, right. the, the reason the Doc is actually being loyal because he's he's only wanting to move on if KG and Pierce are not going to come back. That's why he's going to move. If If they don't come back, he wants out. Yeah, and, and, and that makes perfect sense. And, you know, his a big part of his career now is has been cemented based on his relationship with those guys. And so I can see where, you know, it really tugs at him. And, you know, listen, you know, none of these people are robots. You know, they're human beings and, you know, they've, they've got their individual concerns and emotions. And, you know, at the end of the day, let's, you know, uh, before we judge somebody like Doc and, and what, what, what he has or hasn't done, uh, let's see how all this plays out. All right, well, I'm Rich Conti, and this has been Celtic Speed, and I want to thank my co-host, John Lemons. I really enjoyed working with you tonight, John. also want to um, thank our caller, Brett, for joining us tonight, and, um, you know, uh, really encourage everybody to go check out clnsradio.com, see some of the work um, Celtics-related, Bruins-related, Red Sox-related, sports in general from, you know, a lot of the great columnists, and um, look forward to uh, joining you guys on the air again sometime soon. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Brent. Uh, happy Father's Day, everybody. Good night.